In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit and God, Amen. We have been studying the life of Samuel the prophet, and then now we're seeing there's a change that's happening from the age of prophecy or prophets. Now we're moving to the period of kings. And we saw last time that the people said that they want a king to be like every other nation. So their biggest motivation was to be like every other nation. Now, last week we saw, it's just a very strange story, that the person God picked to be the first king of Israel, his name is Saul, and he lost his donkey, and he was looking for his donkey, and then he, the donkey, he couldn't find him, he traveled far, until he came to the city where Samuel the prophet is. And it seems like, until last week, it seems like all these events are just a random event. That somebody lost his donkey, and he's just looking and searching for the donkey, and doesn't know what it is. Now we're going to start from chapter 9, verse 15. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Samuel came, saying... So all these things seem so far as if it's an accident... But now finally we see the Lord is talking. And the Lord said, the Bible said that the Lord spoke to Samuel in his ears. And that's important for us because a lot of times in our life, daily things like losing something or finding something or talking to somebody or talking to someone might seem as an accident. But every small detail in our life we can see the work of God in every small detail in our life. We can get to see what the God, the, the hands of God in. Now we see Kida, that Samuel has been so far waiting the, for the guidance of God. So they've asked for a king. Samuel has done nothing. He's just waiting for God to guide him next. So then when Saul, so Samuel said, told him, Tomorrow, about this time, this is what God told Samuel. Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. Remember, God was very saddened when they picked a king for themselves. But God responded, he said, I am going to pick somebody because I heard their cry. Even though their cry was not asking for something good or something positive. And God's response is not revenge. And actually, if you have time, you should study every time the Bible says God was angry and see his action. You will see the action that God takes has nothing to do with his anger. Doesn't seem like an angry person acting. So usually his, his expression to show his sadness and frustration in a human terms, obviously, because God is, is, is unchanging. He doesn't react as if he's engaging in an event that he doesn't, doesn't know about. But to show us in a human sense. 
So God told Samuel, tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you need to anoint him. This is what used to be happening for the kings and the priests and the prophets and the altar vessels in Exodus 29. And even for us, even in the New Testament, we all get anointed with the mayroon. You guys know the way we make the mayroon? We take the, the, one of the batches that originally had the spices of our Lord, uh, from, uh, spices that was on the body of our Lord. We mix it with the spices that God commanded Moses in Exodus 30. And then they make a batch every time they run low. So there's an important process of when you call somebody to service, you have to anoint them. You have to say that this person is being set apart for that service. What does that mean? It means that he can no longer live a life of a normal person. Like when we anoint the altar vessels, it means they can only be used for the body and blood. That's it. When you get consecrated to God, it means like all my thoughts, all my feelings, everything I want, I want to have for God. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Honestly, like every time you see the conversation between God and, and, and Samuel, it, it's just, I don't know how the channel is open, right? He, all the time God tells him and he responds. God tells him and he responds. Even if people are present, people are not present. There's an open channel that's happening. And you see this commonly, even with some of the saints in the church, like Masan Abu Rafanus, when you go visit him, he can tell you something, and there's a connection, a mystery that we don't understand. A mystery that we don't understand. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? So Saul came to Samuel. Imagine, all of this seems like an accident. He's telling Samuel, where is the prophet? Where is his house? Saul doesn't even know the name of the prophet. Where is the seer's house? And he meets him, obviously, at the gate. And the gate is a... I don't want you to think of the gate as a, as a, a door. The gate is, the, is a marketplace, the courtroom. It's the busy place. This is where people buy and talk and trade. It's, a, it's an important place. So Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and I will tell you all that is in your heart imagine the moment that Samuel told Saul I am the seer I am the prophet I'm sure he had in his mind already a lot of reverence for him because his servant told him that the seer can tell you everything that's in your heart the seer can tell you everything that is in your heart. So when Samuel saw him and told him, I am the seer, I'm sure a bit of him was what was scared. Reverence. And Saul told, uh, Samuel told him, I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart. Most likely, Saul had some political matters in his heart. Most likely, he was concerned about what's happening in the political life in Israel. And Samuel told him, I'm going to sit together, I'm going to tell you about what's in your heart and what, how we're going to solve it. 
But as for your donkey that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found, and in whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? So Samuel told Saul, don't worry about the donkey. Somebody already found it. But told him something interesting. Told him, to whom all the, the house of Israel longing? People desiring a king. You are the king they are desiring. Saul is becoming the focus and the hope of Israel. Instead of their hope and focus was God, now Saul is the focus and the hope. And that happens a lot in people's life when they ordain a king over themselves. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Saul was like, You're telling me that all the hope of Israel is in me seems like Saul started to feel what is this guy talking about does he talk about the fact that is does he mean I'm going to be a king do I play an important political role in the upcoming period and he's telling him am I not Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel if you guys remember in the book of Judges chapter 19 and 20 the tribe of Benjamin committed a sin and all the rest of the tribes came and fought it. So actually, the tribe of Benjamin became the smallest tribe out of all the tribes. So he's telling him, am I one from the least tribes, from the least families? I mean, Saul's father was a, decent, a decently like, you know, connected man within his tribe. But overall, Saul felt, Saul felt that he is nobody. I'll tell you guys something, when I was reading this passage, I thought that God gives each one of us in our life reasons for humility. I mean, there is the ultimate reason is that we are made out of dust and we're going to be dust. But sometimes we forget. But God gives each person a reason for humility. A family, maybe that's not like Saul's family, that's not as famous or rich or well-known. A health issue, uh, a challenge. He gives us all, not a social, he gives us all reason for humility. Saul felt humbled by his family. And that's also important sometimes when I stand in front of God, I tell him, God, like, Yanta, you remember me and I am, where do I come from? Who do I know? With great humility, Saul have responded. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in a place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. So, so Samuel did something interesting. He took Saul and his servant. They had a meal, looks like in the upper room, and he put them in a place of honor. This is Saul, who is like a young kid, who is from a very poor tribe, 
Now he's sitting with Samuel, the man of God, the great guy, and Samuel puts him in the place of honor. He went to look for a donkey, find himself sitting at the head of the table with the high priest. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I have, which I gave you, of which I said to you, sit it apart. So can you imagine, Samuel already knew Saul is coming, he prepared a certain por portion for him. And throughout this whole next chapter, you will see that Samuel is sending Saul one clear message. Nothing is by accident. Nothing is by accident. God is watching every small detail. He is involved in every small detail, even the portion that I left you. And later on, we'll see the people he will meet. Nothing is by accident. So when he's a king, he knows that nothing is by accident. And you see, obviously, whenever you're preparing a king or somebody to become a king like Saul, for example, that nobody knows him, you want to expose him to some people. You want him to build a relationship. So God, even though God is against the concept of them having a king, when they asked for a king, God is still giving them a king according to their heart, but also God is preparing him to be a good king. What more can they ask of God? Hello, look, I'll set you together with famous people, rich people, the top guys, so when, when your name comes up, people know who you are. So the cook took up the thighs with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what is kept back. It was set apart for you, eat, for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said I invited the people, so Saul ate with Samuel. By the way, the thighs were the portion of the high priest. You will see it in Exodus 29:27. He told him, I invited people specifically for you. Probably the nobles of the region that represented the people. God continued to set Saul for success and continues to show him how special he is to God. He makes him participate in the food of the high priest and tells him, I prepared this meal before you come. And when they, when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. This is a beautiful scene. As they came down, Samuel took Saul on the side and he started discipling him. He probably, my imagination, he probably went through the requirements of the law to have a king. You guys remember we talked about it last time, that you should, you should write the law, you should not have horses, you should not have multiple wives, be careful from that, be careful from this. It's important to give people an instruction before they serve. One of the things that we see now, you know, when people want to get ordained deacons, what happens? A bishop is coming, but let's see if who wants to be get ordained, and we ordain them. But people don't sit with them and give them the instruction. What is the requirement for you to be in that rank? What does it mean to be ognostus? 
How often should you read the Bible? Onostos means that you should be able to interpret the Bible. Do you know your responsibility? Or is it something we do just for a nice, get a photo and just a nice post? So here, Samuel is giving Saul an instruction. And after I give them instruction, look verse 26, they rose early and it was about dawn, about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. It's almost like they couldn't sleep. They continued, wake up, let's talk more because I have to send you. It's a crash course for service. And honestly, as I'm looking at this, I really like how Samuel is dealing with this whole situation. Who is the leader of Israel at this point? Samuel. You know, this is, by the way, the transition of power. You know how in America here we have transition of power? When you vote in a president and you vote one out? This is the transition of power in the scripture. One of the most civil, beautiful transition of power in history of mankind. That the man of God, Samuel, is teaching Saul and doing everything in his power genuinely to set him up for success. Saul is naive, doesn't know anything. Samuel could give him a wrong advice. He's ruined. That's important for us when I am mentoring somebody or I'm working with somebody that I have to be faithful. Even if I have to step over my human desire and anxiety that I don't want people to know what I know. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servants to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Samuel, Samuel told Saul, Look, you're too attached to your servant. Let him go, because I want to talk to you about something private. And that's important because not every teaching is fit for everyone. Some people cannot handle, cannot handle certain teaching. And some people in certain positions, they have to receive private teaching. Because if the private teaching is known, people might misunderstand it and misuse it. And then he told him, look, stand, look, we told him what, stands here, that I may announce the word to you. Tell him, I'm telling you the word of God, you must stand. You know, when we read the gospel, we have to stand. When it's a moment of reverence in the liturgy, we must stand. Because I am telling you the word of God. And it's important for us because our posture when we worship should help us to be prepared to receive. If I am sitting at random times, and I'm more concerned about sitting down and actually hearing the word of God, I might be missing important instruction. 
Now we're going to go to chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Obviously, he took some oil. This was a common practice in the Old Testament. If you want to consecrate an altar, you want to consecrate a person, he took some oil and poured it on. And you will see this in, in, uh, in Exodus 30 from 23 to 25. And initially, this oil was made out of myrrh, cinnamon, fra uh, fragrance cane, uh, cassius, and olive oil. It's a mix of, of, of these things. He took it and he consecrated him as a chosen person to serve God. What a great honor to be chosen to serve God. I'll tell you guys honestly from my heart, it breaks my heart sometimes to see servants in the church serving God and they don't feel their call. Do you know you're called or not? Do you believe you're called or not? Is this happening by accident? Is just the byproduct of the process in the church? Or do I feel an actual calling? And what a great honor for me to be called. To be called a Christian, to be called Orthodox, to be called in the Coptic Church, to be called a servant. Wow! People receive great callings, but they don't understand it. And after this, Samuel kissed him. It's an act of love or an act of sealing the, the promises that God has given him. And honestly, kissing him is not really a part of the ordination process. But it seems like Samuel, because he loved Saul, Saul is the one who's going to take over him. He loved him so much that when he ordained him, he kissed him. Out of the, the abundance of his loving heart, he loved the person who's going to take over him, his, his, his position. Some people say, when the Bible said, the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance, some people say that the inheritance really refers to the land. But, but God continues to rule over the hearts of the people. And this is true. The king of Israel would only be a king who rules over the people, structure, organization, wars, but he never rules on the hearts of people. Now, if you were Saul at this point, you might say, okay, you know, this is really nice. I met Samuel. He told me going to be a king. I got some instruction. He blessed me with the oil. But nobody knows I'm going to be a king. How useful is that? That's really, you know, where are we going to go from there? And I think it's important to understand a very important idea. Is that a lot of times when God prepares us for a specific grace to serve in a certain way, sometimes that grace becomes clear for us personally for some time that we may become more dedicated and more interactive with it. Before other people know and before the next step comes. God, for example, 
is preparing you to get married. That's a grace. A lot of people, what do you, how do you prepare for marriage? Let me try to talk to as many girls as possible or as many guys as possible to find which one I want, or which one I click with. But here we see that before anything was public, there was a consecration. There was a desire and a plan to serve God. When you have departed, look, so, so what's going to happen? Saul actually is going to tell him the details that will happen in his day hour by hour. Can you imagine? Every detail Samuel is going to tell him. As if he sees everything happening in front of his own eyes. To remind us that nothing is by accident. The word of God we hear, where we are, everything is a, it has a purpose. So, so uh, Samuel told him, when you, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin of Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkey which you went to look for, for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkey and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? By the way, the road... When we talk about the, 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 Rachel, the Rachel's tomb territory, Rachel was buried in the road from Bethel to Ephrathah. This is where Bethlehem is. That's why we say Rachel weeping over her children in Bethlehem. Because this is the road that she died in as she was giving birth. So the first thing God told him, you're going to find two men. Okay? And these two men are actually walking in the area of Rachel, your great-grandmother. No, he's from Benjamin, Benjamin family. So Rachel is his great-great-grandmother. So he's basically reminding him, be careful, not, nothing here is by accident. He's telling him you're going to pass by the road to be reminded of how vain the world is. Remember Rachel, your great-grandmother? She wanted a child. Well, she got a child, but she died while she was giving birth to him. And the first thing you will see is a tomb, the tomb of Rachel, to remember how vain the world is. How vain the world is. And then he tells him, the donkey is found. It means no more distraction. Don't worry about the donkey. Now we've got to start a new business. And then the fourth thing he's telling him, your father is no longer worried about the donkey, but he's asking, what shall I do about my son? You see how much your father cares about you? You're going to become a king, a father for many people. This should be your attitude. Everything becomes a lesson for him. Then you shall go forward from here and come to the turbine tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Obviously, the three goats are used for the Old Testament sacrifice. Bread and wine are used for the New Testament sacrifice, the body and blood. And he's telling him, they are not going to offer him goats, because goats are used for worship. 
He's not a priest. He has no authority to slaughter animals. He told him, you're going to go by the, by the Oak of Tabor. Oak of Tabor, this is a type of wood, and it's usually related to a place of worship. You will see this in Genesis, for example, 12.6, Judges 9.37. So he's going to tell him, you're going to see men, and these men are almost going in the way of pilgrimage. They're going to, for a spiritual retreat. They're going up to spend time with God. You will see people going to have a spiritual retreat. And on their way, they will give you two bread. Why two bread? Because it's him and his servant. From day one, he learns to practice love and sharing. One for me, one for his servants. And by the way, this is common. You see this even in the New Testament. When you work with God, God allows you to eat with his food. From his food. Saul works with God. How is he going to get paid? As we said last time, he actually takes the tenth of the people's properties. When you work with God, God takes care of you. Even in the most difficult time. And the fact that they offer him bread which is supposed to be offered to, uh, to, as, as a sign of, of offering to God, this is an acknowledgement of his position and authority. This is daydreaming. Like this guy is, is, is leaving Samuel the prophet, and he's, and he's walking, and random people walking up to him, or going up to the mountain to pray, and they give him some of the bread that they were going to offer to God. This is... This is this is nonsense. This is just unbelievable. These are the, the, the bread that they should give. They should give to God. This is the, the, the bread, sorry, this is the, the food of the priest. It's almost like, you know, the urbanas that Abuna takes. And if Abuna, for example, has a meeting with the bishop afterwards, if you pray the liturgy, he'll take a full urbana and give it to the bishop. It's almost like this way. They're giving him two urbanas. Nobody knows whose soul is. And after you share, come to the hill. To the, after you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistines' grasson is and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet group of prophets coming down from the high place with a string instrument, trembling, flute, a flute and a harp before them and they will be prophesying. He's telling him you're going to go to a place where you will be able to see the structure of buildings that is in the Palestinian area. Because probably Saul, would, his main task would be to save them from the Palestinians. Okay? And now Saul will see the prophets coming. And he will see them praying and praising. By the way, these prophets didn't seem to exist during Eli the priest. Having a city for prophets and people going up on the mountain and coming down the mountain. It looks like part of Samuel's spiritual revival is that he created cities for prophets. This is where Elijah will come from. Elisha will come from. I remember one time I met one of the monks and they said, our main job as monks is to pray for the servants of God in the world because they are the warriors who are fighting and we are their backbone praying for them. 
So they created a city only for prayer, for worship. Imagine Saul who didn't even know the name of Samuel. Now once he started serving with God, he sees things. Wow. Now we're going to start people, see people prophesizing. Is that going to stop here? No, look. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Wow. Be careful. Saul already received the Holy Spirit. When Samuel anointed him with the oil, he already received the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, Samuel is telling him that you not only receive the Holy Spirit, that you're going to experience what it means to be full of the Spirit. What's going to happen? That you will have a beautiful experience. You will be prophesying with the prophets. You'll be prophesying with the prophets. God takes ordinary people and makes them fit for the service. God takes people who don't know anything. They don't even know the name of the prophet. They don't know the right from the left. And God says, I will make you serve. This is how we all feel. This is how we all feel. So everybody can always depend on God and what they do. And prophecy does not only mean that they will be revealing the future, but it could also mean proclaiming the word of God. Proclaiming the word of God. Now it said what? It said that he turned into another man. Saul now become a different man. He received a special grace. He's now praising, praying. He's now prophesizing. He's now thinking about things that he never thought about before. He's more occupied of things that he didn't think about before. Complete change, different person. And a lot of times, by the way, this happens to all of us. When you take a nice spiritual retreat with God, or you go to somewhere where you learn and a beneficial place, you come back a new person. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do not, so that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. You see what, what Samuel told him? He told him, when the Spirit comes upon you, let the Spirit move you freely. There's a part of soul that must be disciple and responding to the Spirit. And what it means, means for example, you're with a group and we're, we're all praying and we're all singing and you feel like you want to pray and you want to sing. But instead of participating, you keep watching what people are doing. Respond with the Spirit. Respond with the voice of God. Why are you a spectator? Why are you watching? People are praying. It's a place for worship. You should pray. God tried to move you and you don't want to move. Tell you sometimes a deacon serve in the altar, he's standing like stiff. 
move, interact. For the Bible is saying, allow the spirit to work. Don't be resistant. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offering and make sacrifice of peace offering. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, Saul gives him, Samuel gives him another appointment, told him, you're going to go and you're going to wait for me seven days. The peace offering, it's almost like a fellowship offering, was, it, was a burnt, it, was, it was burnt and the rest was eaten by the worshippers. That's why we call it a fellowship offering. It's supposed to be an act of peace or reconciliation with God. So God is picking a king for them and they're telling God, please forgive us almost for way we have disobeyed you. You know, we're going to pick a king and they're trying to make peace with God. If you actually look at the, the, the Septuagint translation, it doesn't tell him, wait, it's almost telling him, do nothing. Don't tell anybody. Spend time with God. You're going to need it. Seven days where you become, you and God alone prepare yourself to serve. And by the way, this should have been Saul's footprint in life. And should be all our footprint in life. Because after every once in a while, I need to take time alone with God. Alone. Enough of the prayer that I pray in front of people all the time. I need to be tested and examined and washed and proven in my bedroom alone with God. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, just he turned aside, that God gave him another heart and all the sign came to pass that day. You see, Saul has a beautiful quality so far. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't object to anything. Very simple, very submissive. Very simple, very submissive. I'm going to go down, yes. Wait, yes. Eat, yes. He hasn't asked him a question. When are you going to tell people I'm going to gain? Watch. Nothing. Nothing. He followed the instruction with clarity, purity, simplicity. So God gave him a pure heart. That's why we pray, we say, a pure heart created me, O Lord. A heart that is what? That is simple. A heart that is simple. And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. A person who didn't know anything about spirituality, now he's, 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 he's prophesying. And it happened when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul, is Saul among the prophets? People who knew his past. Looks like Saul that people had nothing to do with the church, had nothing to do with God. Doesn't know anything about the church. 
And all of a sudden they see him standing with the Prophet and singing. People said, is this, is this really him? Is it real? Be careful because God does this with us a lot so we can always remember where did God brought us from. Where did God brought us from? Maybe when you were younger, socially you didn't fit in as much and many people didn't really appreciate you as much. And when you get older, God gave you a very good interactive personality and people and you make friends and all that stuff. So you remember, where did you used to be? Then a man from their answer and said, but who is their father? Therefore it became a, a, a proverb, a soul also among the prophets. What does he mean by saying, who is their father? One man said, who is the head of, father means who is the head of the prophets. So who is the head of the prophets? Same one. So most likely he's saying, that who allowed him to be part of the prophets. So because see, Samuel sat him among the prophets. Samuel became his father. You see, that's why I was telling you, it's the best, it's the best transition of power in the history of mankind. He gave him the, the, the means to be a spiritual leader and give him the means to know the spiritual people. So he can always go back to them and be discipled by them and learn from them. It's not like, let me keep my connections away from you, you're gonna be a king and I don't wanna deal with you. Not at all. To the point it became a joke. You know when people joke about each other? They were joking about Saul. Is Saul among the prophets now? This, did you believe this? This is what's going in town? Saul is now among the prophets? This became like the joke. This can always be in Saul's life. Can you remember? Do you remember? People said one day you're among the prophets. Do you remember that? Do you remember the liturgy when you prayed and your heart was melting with God? Do you remember the time when you confessed and you came out and you felt that nothing matters in the world? Do you remember the time where you're willing to give everything you have for God? Do you remember these times or no? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Wow, what's the high place we said last time? Before the, the, the temple, it's a place of worship. He went to the high place to pray, to take a retreat. Saul in his own is going to spend time with God. It's amazing how when people spend a time with in a spiritual environment, they want more. Don't deprive yourself. Don't deprive yourself. When we walk around without eating the food of God, then it means we desire we desire death. It means we don't want life. Saul went for life. Then this is, we're going to take these two verses and conclude. Then Saul's, Saul's uncle said to him and his servants, where did you go? So he said, 
to look for the donkey. And when we saw that the, the, there were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. It seems like Saul's uncle was the head of the family, the leader of the family. That's why it doesn't say his father was asking about him. His uncle came because when he came late and the matter became urgent, now he has to go to the, you know, the head of the family. So he told him, his uncle, once he heard that Saul met with Samuel, he was no longer interested about the donkey or where Saul was. He told him, what did Samuel tell you? To show you how excited people to hear from Samuel. How important Samuel was. And even, he is a man of God. And he's accessible. And people can go talk to him. And spend time with him. But sometimes people do not invest in spending time with the people of God. People spend thousands of dollars to go on vacations to all over the world. So how many people spend money to go, for example, to holy places to meet holy people? or to try to spend time with God. It becomes a curiosity, but not a seeking heart. But not a, a seeking heart. So Saul told, told his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. So Saul did something very beautiful. He told him, he told us that the donkey was found. But he did not want to reveal to him the secret that Samuel has told him. Why? Because Samuel already told him not to tell anybody. He already told, us, told him, let your servant go because I want to talk to you privately. Some things in our spiritual life must be maintained confidential. Must be maintained confidential. And think about it. If, if Saul would have told his uncle that I'm going to become a king, what's going to happen? Either his uncle would belittle him and joke and laugh, or his, his uncle might rush and go tell people and make announcement, and people might become angry and rebel against him and reject him as a king. So it's in the wisdom of God that certain things happen at the right time. Some things must be said by the right people at the right time. Some things must be said by the right, by the right people at the right time. If we go and rush and say certain news in our own, it might actually backlash and cause issues. And that's why St. Mary was great in her humility and obedience because she was able to keep these secrets in her heart. People who cannot keep secrets, anything right away, they say, they say, they say, say. A lot of times it's a reflection of pride. A reflection of lack of self-control. So Saul was humble after a new heart, after spiritual experience. And now he even gained wisdom. He knew when to speak and when to talk. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.